Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%. Based on credit worthiness, rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, writer, a director, a mask, and I love film. As Stephen King once said, fiction is the truth inside the lie, but Infinity Pool is in fact a documentary. Is it? I'm not sure it is, Stephen, but I wouldn't argue with you. You're Mr. King. Thank you. Every week I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most of them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Brene Brown, and even Fred Brambles. But this week it's the brilliant actor and director and star of Shrinking, Mr. Michael Urey. The first four episodes of Shrinking, the show co-created by myself and Bill Lawrence and Jason Siegel, are available to watch on Apple TV+. Plus. Give it a go. You will definitely like it. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 30 minutes of chat with Michael. We laugh a lot. We talk about beginnings and endings. He tells me a secret. You get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video and more than that. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Michael Urey is a tremendous actor and director. You will know him from all kinds of things and who we had the honour of casting in Shrinking. He's been a pleasure to work with over the first season and I was very excited to get a chance to sit down and talk life and death and films with him. We recorded this on Zoom the other day and I really think you're going to love it. It's a cracker. So that's it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 234 of Films to be Buried with. And welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a Juliada, an ugly Bettier, Prince King Hamlet, a partnerser, a star <laughs> of screen and stage, a star of big screen, little screen, and <laughs> the screen in your heart. And one of the stars of the show, Shrinking, a personal hero of mine. I can't believe we've managed to get him on the pod. Please welcome, can you believe he's here? It's Mr. Michael Urey! Oh my God, thank you so much. What an intro. Wow. Hey man, how are you? It's so good to see you. Very good to see you. You're in New York? I'm in New York. 
I'm coming to you live from my soundproof closet in uh, the on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. For those of you who can't see the video of this, it's a really impressive booth. This is a man who does a lot of voiceover. You've got full <laughs> full egg boxes yeah. and shit. Pads, and, and there's a carpet. But it, it is just a closet. You can see here, cleaning supplies. <laughs> um, it's also got mops hanging from the egg cups. <laughs> and the books, the books I don't choose to display. There's a hand from a play that I was oh. in. Um, there's some what other fun building here. What was the scary hand behind your head for? Oh, well, I, uh, that's for, I was in this play where my arms got chopped off and they let me keep the hand. What was the play? It's called Jane Anger. Uh, really good play where I played William Shakespeare. Very funny. We did it off Broadway just before we shot Shrinking. And oh. um, in it, William Shakespeare pisses off a couple of people and they chop his arms off and um, push him out a window. And so the apparatus that I had to wear right. to get my arms chopped off, it didn't make it at the end. And they, they gave me the hand. It was a really um, complicated piece of machinery. It was like, you know, heavy magnets and, um, oh, and then wow. like... Uh, it was cool. And then we just did it again in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> oh, shit. And we closed on Sunday. And oh. we had a much much, uh, a much uh, fancier production, much nicer arms that got chopped off. But on Thursday, a week, uh, last Thursday, I was bound in the arms. You know, I'm like bound because I have to pretend Ooh. to have my arms cut off. And I slipped on a piece of paper and I broke a rib. So I'm no. talking to you with a broken rib. Michael. Yeah, so oh, if man. I don't laugh as boisterously as you as know you... me to laugh, that's why, because it hurts God. like fuck. Oh, no. I'm going to be very serious. I finished and uh, I made it and, and I'll heal and I'll be all better in no time. You're, you're a bloody star. Didn't you do, did you do the play where you play 137 characters? Did you do that? You mean the Barbara Streisand play? Tell me about the Barbara Streisand thing. Well, I played Barbara Streisand, among other people, in this play, Buyer and Seller, where um, the, the writer... It's set in the, underneath her house, right? In the yeah, mall. Exactly. Yeah, yes, yeah. this is what I heard about. Which is true. She does have a mall in her basement, uh, like a street of shops in the basement of her house, um, like a doll shop, a gift shoppy, um, a sweet shop a dress boutique, and Jonathan Tolan's this brilliant writer, he imagined that someone got hired to work down there. And and I, so I play the guy, and he's telling the story, and then she comes in. And so does, like, the woman who runs her house, and so does her husband, James Brolin. And I played all the parts. And it's really funny. It's really very sweet, actually, because they developed a sort of friendship. But the, the best part of the play, the funniest part of the play, is she comes down, when she first comes down, because he's down there for a few days before she shows up. He's just, like, cleaning <laughs> up and pretending to, like, man the shops. She comes down and tries to buy her own stuff and haggle over... Uh, her own belongings. He's like, like, how much for this one? How much for this doll? And he's like, $8.50. And she's like, what? Are you crazy? It's too much. And then she shows up. She comes back and she says, I found a coupon. And she prints out like a fake coupon that's for the exact amount uh, as as, as he put it in all. It's very funny. And I did it forever. I did it. Really? Um, off Broadway for like a year, and then I did it on tour here in America. And I did it at the Menier Chocolate Factory in London. Oh wow! Uh, over six hundred performances of that damn thing, and then I even did it in, in our living room during the pandemic as a benefit. We we like cleared out all the furniture oh, wow. and, and we put up a couple of cameras and did it in our living room. Crazy. The thing I often ask 
uh, people who work in long-term productions. How do you keep... Did you get bored? 600 performances mm. where you're like, fucking hell, I've got to do this again. Or do you have like a trick to get you into it? Or was it... How does that work? Well, you know, I didn't get bored. I got... I did go a little crazy, though, because I was alone. I think if I had been with other actors, that might have been harder because, mm. you know, you have to sort of rely on them and... And if they don't give you what you you want, you get frustrated with them and they might their performance might change and yours doesn't or vice versa. And that can get frustrating. But I, you know, like I was my own scene partner. So mm. if I didn't get a laugh, I had no one to blame but myself. You know, <laughs> like I was set up, and I always Slapping set myself up perfectly. <laughs> also, I, because the audience was the audience was really like the other character because I spoke directly to them. And mm. so it was different every night because of them, because they, you know, there was a different, you know, three, 400 right. people, however many showed up that night or whatever theater I was in. And it really did feel like a new story every, every night. Wow. It did get lonely. Yeah, I bet. Well, it's like yeah. doing a stand-up tour, I suppose, if you're just on, on your own, but you can't change the script. Yeah. One last question about your past, if I may. You went to yes. Juilliard. Indeed. Which as an English person, I don't fully understand what it is. I know it's a big fucking deal, but I don't quite know what it is. Is that like like the hardest core drama place in New York or something? Yeah, it is. It's the it is the um it's the hardest core drama place in New York. That's that's, <laughs> that's kind of what, what it would be. It used to be just the Juilliard School of Music for like like hundreds of years. And mm. then about fifty or so years ago, John Houseman um started a drama program there. Right, and the first class was Kevin Klein and Patti Lapone and wow. William Hurt. They did all right, and, and they did all right, and so then it worked out, and people have been going ever since. And you know, I graduated in two thousand three, but we don't call we don't say class of two thousand three. Your group, so like Patti and Kevin Klein, they're group one. I was group oh, wow. thirty two, wow. and now it's I, I, it's almost to group, I guess. 52 or, or yeah i mean it's yeah. been it's been almost 20 years since i graduated um wow. so how long is it three years it's four years four years wow it's four years and i got a bfa but now you can get an mfa so if you come having already gotten a bachelor's degree somewhere you can get a master's degree i went sort of right out of high school was it amazing amazing experience was it tough was it horrible? Yeah, it, it was. I, I had an amazing experience. Not everyone does. Some people don't like it. Some mm. people don't make it all the way through. They quit or they get, they got kicked out. I don't think they do that so much anymore, but they used to kick people out if they weren't cutting it. And I had an amazing experience. It was exactly what I wanted. I completely fell in love with the kind of work we did, which is a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of classics. And it was exactly what I needed. It was rigorous. It was all day. We would get up early and have movement in the morning and then voice and speech and then acting classes. And then we would rehearse at night. And mm. it was all day, every day, living in New York. And yeah. as I stepped foot in New York, I was, you know, home. I was like, this is where I belong. And this is, but it's intense. Like it's, it's a lot of work. It, it's, you, you know, you spend all of your time with the same 20 people. So you become like a real family. Yeah. How, how, how many how incestuous was it? Did you sleep with everyone over the oh, course yeah. of four years? Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> lots of that. There's lots of sleeping around. Some like real, like some people were together for like three yeah. years or or more, and lots of sex was happening and and fights. But also, we really got mm. along. We were like you know, we would eat together and we would, you know, hang out together and and we would fight and it was it was great. And then you know, some people don't don't stay in the business. Some people, mm. it's it's crazy. A lot of people who leave Juilliard don't become actors after all. They become yeah. other things. 
you know, they, they either find another place in the business, like directing or teaching or, or they'd leave the business altogether. You know, people from my class left the business altogether and are doing completely different things now, which is wild. Of group 32, how many of them are now actors 20 years later? Well, um, Jessica Chastain. I've heard class. of her, yeah. yeah. She's, she's pretty good. One yeah. Academy Award winner. Um, <laughs> Luke McFarlane, who's in Bros. Um, oh, he plays I love him. Yes. Yeah, he's fantastic. So good. He was in my class. This great actor named Jeff Beale, who does tons of theater in New York and has been in lots of TV. He he he's Brilliant. he's still uh, an amazing actor. Um, I my uh, good friend Graham Hamilton was Luke Skywalker in Boba Fett. Wow! And they like changed his face and his voice. They sort of yeah. ma- like mixed his face and his voice wow. with Mark Hamill. Wow! And but I didn't like. I saw the show and I was like, that's. That's Graham. I could like I could, it's all his choices, his acting yeah. choices. Who else? There's also uh Don Lee and Gardner. Oh, Jess Weixler is is um mm. is is still an actor. Will Beinbrink. And then a bunch of people who who like are on off to doing other things. So seven seven out of twenty is pretty good. I'd yeah, say. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few others that I that I, I'm not thinking of right off the bat, but um some people left, some people one guy died, which was really Ooh. sad. And then, like from the other years, there are like amazing people that have like like Oscar Isaac was a couple of years behind us. Anthony Mackie was a couple of years ahead of us. Wow. Lee Pace. Wow. And are you still close with any of these people, or is it just lovely when you see them? I'm in touch pretty regularly with Jessica and Graham and Luke. And I made a Christmas movie together, so that hey. was really fun to like, catch up and like hang out and fall pretend to fall in love with each other and. But any of them, I would be very happy to see if I ran into them. It's a real thing to go through together. Four years of that uh, fucking emotional business. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's way more. I feel like it's way more intense than college. And I would say I went to one year of community college mm-hmm. uh, in Texas, where I'm from before I came to New York. And a lot of those people moved to New York and were sort of my 20s friends. And I would say that I'm more I'm closer to that group of people than I am to my Juilliard friends, in part because I think Juilliard, the Juilliard family is more like family and less like friendships. Because you don't, it's not chosen family. You didn't choose them. You were chosen together, yeah. you know? And like my friends that I like stayed friends with and my friends that I've made since Juilliard, they're the ones I really picked. And that's why like there's a few people from Juilliard that I do think of all the time and I do keep in touch with a lot. But but most of the, most of the, it's like that was like family. That was like there's like we're more like cousins that we used to like you know yeah yeah we lived with for a little while or something. <laughs> and I'm sure they've seen parts of you that you know were very I don't know sort of intimate and like embarrassing and when you're vulnerable. trying stuff and vulnerable yeah. and yeah like okay. such a thing. Oh yeah, lots of failure and and mm. I saw them you know fail and behave badly like we behave badly yeah. and, you know. All that stuff. I'm going to tell a little story for the listener. We wanted Michael Yuri for shrinking and we asked him to do a tape for us, but we wanted him. We were sort of embarrassed to ask for a tape, but we asked for a tape and then we got the tape and the tape was so good that, I don't know if you know this, I think I told your partner, but that we put back in a line that we were going to remove from the script because you delivered that line so well in your tape. We were like, oh yeah, that's a fucking great line. And we put it back. Well, really? 
Yeah, yeah, but, we'd cut it. We'd cut the line because we were like, oh, we don't need that. And then you said it so beautifully. It was like, yeah, that's lovely. Let's have it back. Oh, my God. What line was it? Do you remember? I think it was. It's in your speech in episode two when you burst into his office. I won't spoil it, but it was one line of that we'd taken out, but but we hadn't oh taken out when we gave you the lines. And you said it so well. It was like, that's definitely going back in. Oh, my God. That scene is... Yeah. It's, just like there's it's a cool thing about this show and i've been talking about this in interviews and stuff like i'm not really in the first episode but Mm. they did give me the script for the first episode when i auditioned so i read this whole script that i'm not in or that this character i'm auditioning for is not in and i was like fuck this is so good where would i fit where on earth would i fit in this world and then all of my audition material was basically my stuff for the second episode but i didn't get Mm. the second episode and so mm. I see all this material and I'm like, what? Oh my God, this oh, guy's so this world too. And like, it's so like, it's, it's hilarious. He's neurotic. He's sweet. He's, he's able to like fake a whole other guy. Like I get to do all <laughs> these things in this one episode. And it was so cool. It was so exciting to read a script and think this would be a cool show to be. And I wish I had a part in it. I wish there was something for me. And then to then get all that material. How did you know? You say you like you guys wanted me and then I auditioned. How did you even like I didn't know any of you? I didn't. I, I, this is the first time I ever got a job. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we'd seen you. I'd always been aware of you. I think everyone was aware of you. And some people had seen you on stage and some people had seen liked you in TV you'd done and. It was always a thing of because I think we'd wanted you for another show as well. Like you've been on the radar. Wow, that's so you've been cool. on the you've been on the fucking radar, and it was like I think <laughs> I think that's it. And when and when 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 we brought you up, it's like oh yeah, he's perfect. This is the guy. Oh, anyway, we're very lucky to have you. You're very good in it. Well, thank you're you. I, I'm going to ask you quickly because I'm sure, sure this is all you were asked in the press. But just in case no one's running any interviews, how was your First day with Harrison Ford, were you intimidated? Oh. I know you love each other, but was it scary or was it cool? I found the first day I met him to be scarier than the first day I worked with him. Because it's also, I mean, I did like, I did lose sleep, you know, mm. like in the nights before. I was, I was worried. But by the time I got there, I wasn't anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd mm. sort of, I'd sort of gotten it all out of my system. You know, like I'd gotten all of the thoughts about my entire life watching him out of my, you know, like all the things. Okay. Don't think about that when you're working with, don't think, just treat him like another actor. Just, you know, like, and and that's what he's, he doesn't want you to, you know, treat him like he's the star. He doesn't want you to treat him like, you know, you had action figures of him. He doesn't want any of that shit. He wants to just like be an actor with you. And I hadn't been in any scenes with him and it was just me and him Mm. first up big scene. And I was like, just be cool. Be cool. He's, he's, he'll eat your lunch if you don't like be cool. <laughs> and when they called us, the, you know, he, he had his own golf cart. They called it right. the, captain, the captain's golf cart. And I've never seen anyone drive a golf cart faster than Harrison Ford. But when it was time for us to go to set, even though the, the stage was like not that far away, yeah, I just hopped in his golf cart. I was like, let's do this. Let's go. Let's, let's go. And, and immediately like, he was, I sat in the front seat. He was like, all right, let's go. And, and I had said something like, I'm excited to work with you. This is, I think this will be really fun. And he was like, he was like, we'll see. And, you know, he had, he liked to put on this like crab, you know, this crabby thing. But when you get on set and he's just like a regular, you know, he's like, I think I should come in over here. <laughs> what do you think? And he like, he loves, he loves asking questions. He loves getting direction. 
one point we were in the middle of the scene and he sort of just like stopped and he's like, let's start over. I was like, great. Okay, great. <laughs> and and, I, and at a certain point, you know, when they were moving the camera or something, I said, I said, you know, you're very good at this. And he goes, <laughs> you just thought I was a pretty face. Ah, uh, great. He was like, that's what all you real actors think. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, you're, you're fucking, you're a real actor. And yeah. you, he is such, such a good actor. It's like he doesn't get enough credit for being as good as he is because he's a movie star and because we're so accustomed to him and we're so used to what he does. I remember, you know, a couple of times hearing people making small talk with him and saying things like, this must be fun for you to get to do comedy. It must be really different for Mm. you to do comedy. And I just wanted to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is one of the funniest movie stars we've got. Indiana Jones is a comedy. He's fucking funny. Yeah, he's funny in most things. Han Solo is funny. And so is funny. He's funny. He's funny. Yeah. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's not funny in The Fugitive, you know, but like he's, he can be funny and, and we've all seen him be funny. What's, what do you think, you know, and then, and then, and then to see him in Shrinking and now to watch it and see him be so funny and then so, yeah. so heartbreaking. I mean, some of the saddest stuff in the show is, mm. is, is his stuff. And one of the, I, I, had, I had a scene with him. I learned more from him in one second of, about film acting than four years of Juilliard. Tell me, what did you learn? He had this scene. It was me and him, um, and his and his daughter, uh, and uh, I play his his lawyer. He's he's mm-hmm. he's he, you know he's um he's dealing with his estate. He has Parkinson's and he has some some uh, paperwork he's he's filling out with his daughter and uh, played by Lily Rabe, who's so wonderful, incredible, and. I had the first line. I'm having him sign something. It start, the scene starts with me having him, having him sign something. And, you know, like, I have a pretty good idea of where the camera is and what the camera can see, but it's nothing compared to him. And he said at one point, he was like, you know, just give me one second before you start talking. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, whatever you need. And I, I, I sort of, I couldn't really see what he was doing. And I couldn't really mm-hmm. see, I, I definitely couldn't see what the camera could see. But he basically, like, built this moment at the top of the scene on action before I started my business and my dialogue, where he was like lost in thought, just just simply lost in thought, thinking about who knows what, and mm-hmm. then he kind of gets it back, and he and he joins the and he joins the the room and joins the table, and it was something that like I couldn't tell it was happening. Lily couldn't tell it was happening. Only the camera could tell. He he was doing yeah. it only for the camera, and it was like yeah. it was brilliant. Just like I was like this this man this man knows exactly. Where it is and how to and how to give it to the, to the camera. Really beautiful. He's very good. Jessica Chastain gave, told me some advice that Al Pacino gave her because that she was in Salome. His like he did Salome, yeah. the Oscar Wilde play. He did it as a reading forever, and he likes to just like read things and work on things. And he did it for years. And she did it with him in L.A. And I saw it; it was fantastic, very cool. But he would only he never memorize it. He would always carry a script, and and that was her kind of big break in L.A. was working with him in this. And then and then they made a movie of it, which like came out like 15 years later, and she became a star in the meantime. But he said people always say you should pretend like the camera's not there, but that's not right. You have to include the camera in everything you do. Like every other character. And it's kind of like being on stage. I mean, it's sort of like when you're on stage, you have to include the audience. You just, you know, like you're not, you, you don't play to the audience, you include them. Mm. And the and the camera's just, you know, that much closer. 
Uh, you, you know, I'm ob- obsessed with uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> We've never talked about this. But no. what, one of the reasons I, I genuinely think Everybody Loves Raymond is one of the great underrated sitcoms. I think it's brilliant writing, brilliant characters. I just think it's brilliant. But one of the things I love about it is that, and you have articulated in a way I've never been able to, is that it knows what to do with the live audience in a way that most sitcoms don't. Like, mm. like a lot of sitcoms, the live audience that you hear on screen are annoying. They, they're almost in the way of the thing. The actors don't react to them. They are this weird, even though it's not fake, it sounds fake because it's disconnected from what's happening. Whereas in Everybody Loves Raymond, when they get a big laugh, they include the audience. There's a pause. They sort of sit in the laugh. So the laugh is part of the show. It is inclusive within it and it translates. So when you watch at home, I find myself joyfully enjoying the live audience in a way that I don't often in a show with an audience. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's I, so good. I that's think so that's good. it. I think it's the actors. Night, the, I think because they're mostly stand-ups in it or whatever, but they don't break character, but they do sit in the laugh. There's a little glint of like yes. letting the laugh happen and you feel totally. included in it. Really and then you think, you're like, what are they thinking about? And it makes yeah. you laugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I'm thinking about like Brad, imagining Brad Garrett, like getting a big laugh and just like yeah. seeing it. Space going, you know, squiggly. Yeah. And you're like, what are you thinking about right now? It makes us, and it makes us keep laughing. Have you ever seen they, there's like, there's somebody edited on YouTube the Big Bang Theory without they took out. Have you seen that? I have oh seen God. it. They took out the last. So, it's disturbing. It's, it's so upsetting. <laughs> I can't, it hurts the laugh because of my wrist. Oh, no. so, it's, it's so, so weird because I'd never watched that show, but somebody will come in and do something really weird and dumb. And then there's just silence for like 30 <laughs> seconds. It's like, what, are they what on earth is happening in this time? And they're just standing there looking at each other and then it cuts back and forth. Yeah. Oh my God, brutal. Uh, Michael, I forgot to tell you something and I should have told you earlier. And we've been talking for about 25 minutes now and it's mad that I haven't mentioned this. Um, it was, uh, I think your publicist sent it through for me to tell you. So I'd, I'll just say it. Uh, you, you died, you're dead. No. Yeah, you're dead. Sorry. You're dead. Wow. I dead. did? You're dead. And my publicist told me. Yeah, your publicist, your publicist told me to tell you you're dead. Wow. They're preparing a statement now. How did you die? Oh God, it's so sad. I I was I was at the movies. It's now today, actually. I was seeing the Fablemans, which was wonderful. At least I think it was wonderful. I I don't remember how it ended. I I I was watching the Fablemans. I was very touched. I was moved. I cried a few times. Hmm. I was enjoying my raisinets, and then and then I oh I I had a little bit of a I was trying not to. Oh, oh! I choked on my raisinette. I I must have choked because this is the thing. Because of my broken rib, I'm doing everything I can not to cough. And so, oh no! Oh, I must have choked to death on a raisinette because I wouldn't cough. I wouldn't cough it up. Were were you on your own? No, Ryan was there. He must be devastated. Oh God! I bet he's really sad. And I bet he was going. Why didn't you make a noise? (gasps) I couldn't. I couldn't because of my ribs. I didn't want to. Oh, I hope he finished the movie. It was great. I was mm. really enjoying it. I'd respect him if he finished the movie. I think because yeah. it, because it, from his point of view, it's like, well, he's dead now. I mean, if I leave now, <laughs> he's still going to be dead. If I wait yeah. to the end of the film, he's still dead. 
And I wanted to go on with his life. So, you know, yeah, start that's now. very sweet. Do you, uh, do you worry about death? I, I don't worry about what happens when you die. I do worry about the end of life and what that might entail. And, you know, the, uh, the, the, the possibility of being alone and, and, and decrepit and unable to actually, you know, like I've been thinking, you know, when I have this injury and mm. happened before when I've been sick or I've had an in, uh, some kind of injury and you, you can't do things or like it hurts to do like, like it hurts to poop and it's like oh god is this what it's gonna be like when i get old am i gonna it's gonna hurt to yeah. poop and, and, you know so that i worry about i i am a, I, you know I, I am nervous about about the end of life and i think about like like my loved ones like the end of my families you know and my, my if if my if i outlive my family or my my loved ones like watching people die that i think about but the afterlife i don't really think about it. i don't really think i don't really think that i think i think we're you know science and organ organisms and and that there's just that's that's that and we live on in like the memory of others and not in our own spirits and stuff like that what you think for you your experience is once you try to raise a net black dead nothing yeah everything yeah. shuts off yeah exactly and 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 the you know like yeah everything shuts off the battery dies and that's that and you're okay with that, are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, because I'll live on in the memory of others for as long as I do. And, you know, thanks to television, that's forever. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, reruns of, of yeah. The Good Wife will, yeah. will be going forever. As long as Ugly Betty's on, you will <laughs> live. <laughs> well, I got news for you, buddy boy. You're incorrect. There's a heaven. What? And you're going, even though you weren't a believer, you're going. Oh my God. Yeah, because well, you're very welcome in. It is good news, right? And it's filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? Movies. <laughs> okay. Well, it's got them. <laughs> wall to wall movies. Uh, and everyone there is excited to meet you. They're big fans of all your work. They, uh, but they want to talk to you about your life. They want to talk about it through the medium of film because that's your favorite thing, and they're just trying to bond. And the first thing they ask you is, "What is the first film you remember seeing, Michael Yuri?" I remember. I grew up in Texas. I'm from. Uh, I, I was born in the Houston area, mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> my mother, also born in Houston, raised in Houston, lived in Houston a lot of her life. We later moved to the Dallas area, and my dad's from Oklahoma, and he moved to Houston when he was young, and. We always loved going to the movies. My family was a big movie-going family, loved movies, really invested in things like that, movies and, and, and TV shows, but especially movies. And um, the first movie I remember going to, I was probably like four or five. It was Pinocchio, Disney's Pinocchio, oh, on, on a re-release. And it scared me. I, I remember mm. it really scared me when the boy turns into a donkey. donkey. Yeah, really upset me, really scared me, cried and everything. Not the whale so much or a boy come to life. It was the donkey. It was that like he becomes a donkey. That was really, really upsetting. But the thing that and, and that that stayed with me for a long time. But the thing that um that I actually remember more vividly and more emotionally from that day was that, you know, when we would go to the movies, it was a special occasion and we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we were okay. We were, you know, middle class maybe depending on you know the year lower middle class my dad worked for an oil company and was it was off he was often at risk of get, getting laid off 
depending on, you know, the oil or whatever. And did you have siblings? I had an older sister. She's seven years old. So, you know, we lived in very different households because she's like seven. So like when she was going to college, I was starting middle school. So very, very different experiences. And she was like into sports and not into movies. And we had, you know, so we were very different from each other. Got along great. I think in part because we were so different and we were so far right. apart. And now she is, she's a shrink, actually. She's a oh, wow. psychologist. Yeah. And she has a wife and kids and lives in California and um, love her. She's, 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 she's terrific. Anyway, so my, my mom and I went to see Pinocchio together. It was just the two of us. And when we would go, it would, it would be a really special thing. We would get popcorn, candy, soda, the whole, you know, everything. We would do the whole thing. And I still like to do that. I still, when I go to the movies, I love the whole, you know, the whole thing. Me too. And it's the best. And I remember at a certain point during the movie, I was probably, you know, like it was new to me. I hadn't been very much and or at all, maybe at that point. It might have been my first movie or or it's the first one I really remember. And I remember, I think I was restless and I think maybe I was getting a little rambunctious, which I was wont to do. And I knocked the popcorn over. And it spilled everywhere. And my mom was really sad about it. And she was really annoyed that I had done it. And, you know, like I was probably a real handful then in general. And she was probably really enjoying the popcorn. And I remember feeling bad even at the time and saying, well, you can have your candy now. And her saying, I don't want my candy now. Right. This is heartbreaking. It was, I felt so sad and it it kind of ruined the whole Mm. day. And, you know, I'm sure like she was hoping that the movies would be just as, I'm sure that she had all these ideas about what it would be like, you know, watching me watch Pinocchio and getting a break, not having to entertain me for two hours. And then what do I Fucking popcorn. I fucking knocked the popcorn over and she doesn't want her candy. And so, like, I remember the movie. I remember being scared of the donkey. But what I really remember was, was like, hurting my mom's feelings and, and upsetting her. And Christ. I mean, I can remember every time I ever hurt my mom's feelings. They, uh, they're all burned into my soul. Mm. And into my ever, like, was it nice to her or was uncool to her? And, and that was a big one. You now don't need to answer the question, why are you an actor? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for retroactively <laughs> answering that question. <laughs> oh my God, my back. <laughs> that's, how, that's genuinely heartbreaking. Uh, speaking of heartbreaking, what's the film that made you cry the most? Are you a crier? Yes, yes. And it's been a problem today with this rib injury because yeah. it hurts to cry. I cried. Actually, I was just before I got on with you, Ryan and I were watching. We didn't see the Golden Globes last night and we were watching speeches from the Golden Globes mm. and they all had to cry. Um, <laughs> but um, I do cry. I, I, uh, my dad cries at everything, but he oh, he really? like holds it in. He like he like gets emotional, like the, the national anthem, you know, or like any war movie, you know, Hallmark commercials. Yeah. Uh, so I cry. I cry quite easily. But the movie that will always get me is E.T. And I know exactly it starts the second. It's the music and everything about that movie. But it's the second E.T. makes all the boys fly in their bikes. Mm. The end of the movie. Yeah. And it just gets worse and worse as I get older. And it starts there and it doesn't stop until 
the blackout at the end. Mm. Until the end of time. I um, haven't talked about E.T. on this podcast for a while, so we can talk about it. But like, I find that film so traumatic. Like, I, I think back to my dad taking me and my sister to see it. And I remember thinking, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> like, why are you punished? Like, I'm crying. So I'm so sad. Why? What made you bring us to this? <laughs> you monster. <laughs> this is so traumatic. Explain yeah. your thinking, Dad. Yes. <laughs> That's like four years old. What, How dare what, you? What part of you thought this would be a nice day out? <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> it's so upsetting. It is. It's so sad. There's so much sadness. There's mm. so much sadness in that film. And then the horrible separation of Elliot and E.T. It's really devastating. Utterly devastating. And when he gets sick, oh my God, when E.T. gets sick, it's so sad. <laughs> It's so sad, and then he gets back, but then he has to go. So he it doesn't. Go. He may as well be dead because he's going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Should let him die in that ravine. Yeah. Oh, oh god. Have you seen the deleted scene with Harrison Ford? Yes, I have. I've forgotten it. What? I forgot that that exists. The teacher. Yeah. And I think you don't see his face. Is that right? You don't see his face because you don't see any adult male faces until. Peter Coyote at the end. That right. I think that's right. And I believe Harrison was married to the woman who wrote E.T. Yes, he was. Melissa, Melissa um, Matheson? Carthy. No, that can't be right. <laughs> Melissa Manchester? I think it's Matheson. Manchester? Matheson. 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 Yeah. He was. Yeah, he was. Oh, I, tell you, I mean, the other one that I feel similarly about is Matilda the Musical. Oh. I think that's the saddest thing since E.T. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why people oh. think that's fun. I'm like, it's the saddest story ever told. You're so sad. That poor girl and the poor, the poor woman. Yeah. The poor woman. Oh, yeah. All of it's those awful. People. Everyone it's in that story is so sad. Even Miss Trunchbull's got issues that are sad. I know. I know. She, did, she wasn't born that way. Someone she made wasn't her born that way. way. Hurt people hurt people. Someone did something terrible. Made her pick up a child by the pigtails and throw her yeah. around. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%. Based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. What's the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? I don't like being scared. I like a thrill, like a roller coaster. <laughs> and I do enjoy like like a cheesy horror movie. Like I just saw Megan in the theater, which was oh, really, great. really fun. And I can really appreciate a movie like Alien 
and on second viewing, especially once I know where everything mm. is, like where all the scares are, I really can enjoy a movie. Or sometimes if it's something's really scary, I'll ask what happens. Just tell me everything that happens so that I I'm ready for it. But I'm I will like close my I will like you know shield my eyes because I'm 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 afraid of being scared. And Ryan, my partner, he loves scary movies like Mm. he will watch any of them he will watch all of them and he's obsessed with them and so when we first started going out over 14 years ago we both loved movies and so we were like watching movies and going to the movies and and i wanted him to you know i didn't i didn't want to i didn't want to put a damper on any of our movie watching experiences so I, i i i let him pick movies i picked some movies i let him pick and he always would pick horror movies scary movies and I was like, you know, I, I, it took a while before I finally had the heart to tell him, you know, I, I don't like these. They really upset me. Um, can we please stop watching? Please don't leave me. <laughs> please, yes. Please keep dating me, but please can we watch the comedy or, you know, like musical or, or a tearjerker. I'd, be, I'd love that, but I can't watch any more of these scary movies. They're so scary. Uh, in fact, he took me to one of our first dates. I think our first time going to the theater was Twilight. The original Twilight, which is not scary, but I thought I, I thought it was going to be scary because he said it's a vampire movie, and so I was like, oh, God! And we're like in the dark, and I'm so scared. And then of course it starts, and I'm like, Well, this is this isn't scary at all. <laughs> Ended up being a teeny bopper movie, but the movie that scared me the most yes. that Ryan showed me was a movie called The Descent. I Do love you know? The Descent. It's oh fucking my. brilliant. That movie is a great movie. Terrifying. Yeah. It was terrifying before the goblins or whatever yeah, showed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was it's the a, first hour is fucking scary. Oh, it's terrifying. It's the yeah. spelunking like thriller, all these people going into these caves, spelunking in tiny little areas, getting stuck and wedged, and the cameras right in there with you. And then there are demons and goblins. And ghosts in the tiny caves, killing people, breaking bones, ripping off flesh. And it's so graphic, or in my mind it is. I don't even, I mean, maybe it wasn't as graphic as I thought it was, but I I can still see breaking bones and hear them and I see blood. And it's so like, it's still like seared into my memory. And, and I would do this thing. I did this when I was a kid too. Whenever like somebody would want, because my dad likes scary movies. Whenever they would put scary movies on it, I would do this where I would sort of, sort of leave the room. Like I would just sort of step out, like get, like, like get further away from the TV. Like, like it would protect me or I would like literally go in the other room and like just peek. And this happened during the descent. I kept leaving the room and going into the kitchen and like doing nothing and like being like, what's happening now? You know, like, like what, what, what was that sound? It's like, you want me to pause it? No, don't pause it. That's fine. And then he finally was like, why do you keep going in there? And I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> this movie's so scaring sweet. the shit out of me, and it's really uh, scary. I, it is. And so he still gets me to watch scary movies from time to time, but he has to like talk me through them or, or tell me everything that happened. Sometimes I'll like Google a movie before going to see it and, and just like get all the you know. You can you, you go know, in like the common sense media. You get like the parental advisory explanation exactly. of it. There will yeah, be the, cracking of skin. Okay, at forty three minutes. Close yeah. your eyes. 43 minutes, there's an impalement, and, and I'll, I'll like, I know it's coming. And, and you can sort of tell, it's it, like, like, like some movies, they like, they like build to a scare, and that yeah. I can do. It's the movies where something comes out of nowhere. And like, 
ever since Meet Joe Black. You know that movie, Meet Joe yes. Black, where he gets yes. hit by the bus? Yes. That was, that. I think everything is pre, like, you know, they say Psycho is the beginning of modern movies. I think it's Meet Joe Black. Because ever since Meet Joe Black, someone could get hit by a bus at any yeah. moment. You're not wrong. Ever since Meet Joe Black, people stepping into roads is 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 a scary thing now. Because yes. then it did become a thing in films. Yes. It was like in... Anytime. Yeah, people were often suddenly getting hit by things when they stepped into roads. You're right. Yes. And so you see someone step into a road and you can't yeah. see... You can't... And they don't look They don't look both ways. And you can't mm. see. And they might get hit by a car. And it happens so often. People... They yes. use that so much in movies. Final Destination. Oh, I, oh yes. Scary movies. Mean movie. Girls. Mean Girls. Yeah. All of them. All the horrors. <laughs> what is the film that people don't like it is not critically acclaimed but you love it unconditionally oh well so there's kind of a lot i do have a tendency to watch movies that people don't love and i sort of become obsessed with them or mm-hmm. like uh, i can't stop thinking about them there's this movie and and I don't know that it wasn't loved, but it would be, you know, kind of, they would kind of laugh at me for saying so. Anything with Nicolas Cage, first of all. I just right, think great. That he's in some yeah. really, really good movies. Yes. And I think you've talked about this on this podcast. You've talked about this movie before. I've heard you talk about this. But there's a movie called Con Air. Yes, Con Air. Great with Nicolas Cage. Our friend Krista Miller said Con Air was trash. And for yeah. that, I say Kristen Miller is trash. Because Con Air... <laughs> That's some record. <laughs> Con Air is flawless. And it was it was in that time when, when these big Michael Bay movies were coming with these mm-hmm. long sweeping shots and lots of explosions. The Rock had just come. I think, I think Con Air was like right after no, The no, Rock. Yeah. And Con Air, of course, is a movie about a bunch of convicted criminals hijacking a plane. And Nicolas Cage is the good guy who was, you know, I don't think he was wrongfully accused, but he was, he was thrown in jail for like defending somebody or defending his, mm. his wife's honor or something like that. He was with like a Green Beret or whatever. And he's on the plane and he's the only chance that the uh, guards who have now been taken prisoner have to survive. And it is so thrilling. J- John Malkovich, Ving Rhames, and then like uh, John Cusack on the ground is the, is the FBI agent on the ground trying to like, you know... And I and I, I love every second of it, and I can't I can't get enough. But it is people often say that it's not a good movie, and and to that I say that's wrong. It is. Nicolas Cage has made lots of them. He's another. There's another one with Nicolas called Knowing. You know this movie? Knowing? Oh yeah, where he knows when the end of the world is. Yes. It's like the number twenty three film. Yes. Yeah. I saw that movie, and it became so. I I, I became obsessed with it so, so much so that I went the next day. I oh, saw wow. it twice in two days in the theater. I became wow. so obsessed with it, and it's. It's probably not a very good movie, but I I, I just couldn't get enough of it. I, I like made Ryan go. I was like, we have to go. We have to go. I can't stop thinking about this movie. What's a film that you used to love, but you've watched recently and you've gone, no, I don't like this anymore? This is a tough one for me because it's a movie that I not only did I love, but it was like, you know, one of those movies in, in that you, you see in your teens that makes you want to be um, in movies and be an actor and like. And it was actually ruined for me by a, a teacher from Juilliard. Oh, uh, no. It's Forrest Gump. Okay. So. I, go on. <laughs> and that's interesting. I, I Go on. Tell me. So I loved Forrest Gump. 
And Tom mm. Hanks was a hero. He's a hero. Still, still remains a hero for sure. And, you know, he won back-to-back Oscars for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. And I was like 13 or 12 or something when Forrest Gump came out. And we all went, and like, you know, it was like this incredible thing. And I remember, you know, it was one of those movies that came out when I was a teenager where it just fired on all cylinders for me. And uh, I remember thinking this is this is this is cinema and this is what you know I want to do with my life and I want to be like Tom Hanks and make you know a movie like Philadelphia and then a movie like Forrest Gump and then and then it, it came up once in uh, you know a discussion in a class at Juilliard and this teacher said she didn't like it she said that's not a good movie and we were all like what what are you talking she's like no it's actually not a good movie <sighs> and her reasoning was that it trivialized history by putting one character and specifically this kind of a character that's essentially, you know, like an arguably offensive portrayal of a, a an individual who is learning impaired and mm-hmm. putting him at the forefront of all of these huge historical moments that it actually trivialized history and trivialized this person by, by making him sort of fall into uh, history this way. And I don't necessarily agree. And I have seen the movie since, and I do still feel the same things I felt, but I can't watch it without thinking about mm. that. It has completely colored the experience forever for me. And uh, especially any of those scenes, you know, he's on the Dick Cavett show or he's meeting, you know, Nixon yeah. or, or JFK or, or he's, you know, on the, on, on the steps of the mall for, for the Vietnam um, marches and, it's just like I can't help but think this is he's mm. he trivializes history and and it and it's insulting to to people like Forrest Gump and and so it's kind of been ruined for me. I, 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 so it's not quite I haven't quite yeah. changed my opinion about it, but it's tainted. She's tainted it. Tainted. She tainted it. She tainted it. This woman <laughs> tainted it. You had something you loved and she tainted it. What yeah. is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing it will always make it special to you, Mr. Michael Urey. I have a lot of feelings around the movie Titanic. Um, right. I, I don't think... <laughs> I, 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 you know, like, it, it came out when I was in high school. I went with my high school girlfriend. It was, like, one, one of these fantastic dates. And then it, it was re-released when I was with... Ryan went to Juilliard too, but he went when after... He went much later than I did. We're the same age, but he went much later. And he once like skipped school for us to go on a date to see Titanic. And so I just feel like as a movie-going experience, that movie meant so much to me and my like romantic life between my, you know, like my first love and my, my, my major love. And But there's a movie that the experience of going to see was so thrilling and so surprising that it kind of reinvigorated my love of going to the movies because I mm-hmm. always loved going to the movies. And then like, you know, I, I became more of a theater person, more of a TV person for a while. And then I went with a big group of people to see Mad Max Fury Road. Great movie. Which is like a pretty much perfect movie. Mm-hmm. So thrilling. And it's it's essentially, this movie is essentially... Uh, it's essentially two long chase scenes. That's yeah. basically all it is. It's like a chase in one direction and then a chase <sighs> in the other direction. And there's a part in the movie that's like 45 minutes in where it's, it stops. And it, it, it has been going nonstop for 45 minutes. And then something crazy happens. There's a crash or something. It fades to black. And there's a 
a break, like a scene change, like a mm-hmm. blackout. And when I went to see it, I went to see it in a big group of people, like a group of, like a cast of a play. There was like 12 of us in a packed theater. And that happened. And, and we didn't really know. We were like, let's go see that. Whatever. Let's go see Mad Max. I'd never seen any of the Mad Max movies. It was not on my radar. But I'll see, I love action movies. I'll see any, and I'll see anything in a group. And here we are seeing Mad Max. It starts our, you know, it makes our, our skin melt for the first 45 minutes. And then this crazy thing happens. There's a crash. It sort of fades to black. There's like a flare, I think, that like goes out. And then it's suddenly quiet. And this is a packed house. 300 people audibly exhaled at the same All of us like, we had been holding our breath for 45 minutes. And we audibly exhaled. And then we laughed. Because we heard each other exhale at the same time. And then we all laughed. And then the movie started up again and it's sort of slow. And, then it, and, it, and it is just, and I've watched that movie many times since yeah. then. And I always feel that at that point. And it was, it was one of those like, oh, this is why we have to have movies. We have to go to the movies. We have to be there together. Yeah. And the more people, the better. Like I, I like going when it's packed. I like seeing a packed, being sitting in a packed house. Mm. And I like when people talk to the movie. I like, I like when people call out. This is so exciting. I love that. And that was just a thrill. That's a, a very good answer. Uh, what's the film you most relate to? So I would say the film that I most relate to is Billy Elliot. Please elaborate. <laughs> because, because he's a northern, he's a little no. northern British boy. <laughs> Who wants that? I mean, I get it. I do get it. It's just funny. A family of minors. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I know it's, uh, but I was this kid who, you know, there were no other artists in my family. Right. There's no other. I mean, I had an uncle who was a poet, but like not no performers and no, nobody in show business. We liked going to the movies, but it was a complete, you know, it seemed Mm. like a whole different, you know, world. It was like, there was no way to get Hollywood. Like there was no way for me getting to Hollywood seemed impossible. And in the last few years of high school, I started to, uh, you know, like get good at acting. Like people started to notice me. I started to get laughs. That's what it really was, is I would be in plays and I would get laughs. And I was like, that's so weird. I, I just tried something and they laughed. And and it was, I think because of that, that a, a teacher encouraged me to audition mm-hmm. for Juilliard. And my parents were like, they didn't understand. They had saved up enough money for me to go to a state school in Texas for four years. And that covered one year of Juilliard. That was enough for one year of Juilliard. And the rest was just debt. And, you know, student loans or or um, scholarships or whatever. And Juilliard's really great about that. They really help you and, you know, steer you in the right direction. But I remember my, my, my parents being like, when I said I wanted to audition, they were like, we don't know how this mm. could work. We don't know how we help you go to Juilliard. Like, and I was like, you guys, this is crazy. I mean, I'm not going to get in. It's so, it's such a hard, like thousands of people audition and they only take like 20. I'm not, I'm not going to get in. Don't worry about it. And and my mom and dad were like, we think you might. And that was the first time that I was like, whoa, because they didn't know, I, you know, they didn't know what to do with me. Just like Billy Elliot's dad doesn't know what to do with him. And, 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 and then Billy Elliot, <laughs> Billy Elliot came out when I was in school. I was, I was in New York. I believe I had already moved to New York and I saw it and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I, and I, and I just related mm. to him so much. This little, like this little kid, he doesn't belong in his, you know, not that I was that different from my family in general, but mm. that part of, you know, that part of me that wanted to go off and be an actor and audition for 
a drama school and, and become an actor. That was very different. And they didn't know how they were going to pay for it. And then I remember, you know, when I was all through college, I would call my parents every Sunday. And one Sunday I called and they said, have you seen this new movie, Billy Elliot? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. And they were like, oh, it made us think uh... of you. And... And my mom said, when it ended, or no, I think she said, at one point, your father turned to me sobbing and said, that's just like Michael. And and that was when I was like, wow, they saw it. Mm. I saw it. And it was like, so it was, it was, and then, and then they, of course, like, like Billy's dad, they ended up being really supportive. Yeah. I mean, we didn't fight like they fought. It wasn't they as dramatic like as that. You know, it was, it was, you can't bloody act. <laughs> Ballet, Billy. <laughs> And then, like, I haven't seen it in a long time, actually, and I, I should watch it again because I'm sure it would make me just weep again God, if I Michael, saw it. That's but... another heartbreaking story. You're killing, you're killing me here. Oh. Funny Billy Elliot anecdote. Um, there's this wonderful actor named Will Blum in New York. He, he, cut, he just finished understudying Beetlejuice, and he was my understudy in Torch Song. And he's really, really good and really funny. And he does this thing. He got stoned once. I think it's okay that I say that. Um, he got stoned once and and he became obsessed with the idea of saying Billy Elliot with only one syllable. And so here here's here's my version of it. <laughs> it's Billy Elliot with one syllable. It goes like this. <laughs> I hear it. It's all there. We're wasting time with all these letters. <laughs> Michael, let's get to why we're really here. Yeah. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Yeah, let's hear it. So I thought about this one. I hope so. Because, uh, you know, like, I thought about the movies that, like, helped me sort of with my, my, like, adult, more adult sexual awakening, you know, when I was really discovering my queerness and, uh, which was, which was probably, you know, ultimately later, the movies like, each mama tambien, which was like that was, I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a girl, but there's also boys, and and then uh, a movie like um, Love, Valor, Compassion, the great Terrence McNally play, where there's all these naked men and I'm seeing penises and all this stuff. That was like really like, whoa, what's this? This is so exciting. But but I think the movie that like one of, one of the movies and 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 one that I feel like both made me horny and sexy and kind of made me gay. <laughs> And has a wonderful correlation to us and our our, our lives together is Working Girl. Uh. Starring the great Melanie Griffith, Sigourney Weaver, and our pal Harrison Ford. It has an incredibly sexy performance by Melanie Griffith. Yeah. Who is like effortlessly sexy. She can't help but be sexy anywhere she goes. This like sort of stoic and and cold and and unappealing sex from Sigourney Weaver. Mm. Who is like a brilliant actor, but like not really actually very sexy. And then Harrison has one of the sexiest comedy scenes when he takes off his shirt in his office and the entire office is outside. Do you remember this scene? <laughs> he's 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 come back to the office. He's been in his clothes all night and he comes back to the office and he's changing his shirt. He has a, sh a spare shirt in his office and there's all these windows in his office to the rest of the office. And he takes off his shirt and he's like wiping the sweat with his old shirt, pouring water from a pitcher and like, and then he looks and all of the secretaries are, are outside watching and he looks at them and they all applaud and he's on the phone and he sees them applauding and he goes, <laughs> and he like, he takes a bow, so hot. 
so sexy. But there's also a scene where Melanie Griffith, well, there's a scene where Melanie Griffith is vacuuming naked, which is really cute. But there's another scene where she walks in on her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie, Alec Baldwin, Mm. and he's having sex with somebody else. And they're like totally naked. And this is a movie that like I watched because I loved the movie and I thought it was fun and exciting. But then this scene came along and it's really sexy. Alec Baldwin and this woman, I don't know who it is, and they're having sex and she's riding him and it's really sexy. And I remember thinking this is like, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch certain things. And we certainly didn't really have porn. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have porn. And I remember this was like a safe movie I was allowed to watch. I had it on video and I could watch that scene whenever I wanted. And it was really hot. And it's also gay canon. This movie is gay canon because... Because Melanie Griffith is essentially like a drag queen. She is like essentially this female freak in, in, in that that would inspire a generation of gay men. A woman who is beautiful and sexy and brilliant, but doesn't have confidence and doesn't have any privilege and finds her way into the workforce in, in uh, uh, using her smarts. And it's the kind of a, it's the kind of a character that, that, you know, like gay men over time, you know, like, like the Joan Crawford characters and, and Betty Davis characters will, would glom onto and would emulate. Of course, there's Joan Cusack and then there's sexy Alec Baldwin and then there's sweet and wonderful Harrison Ford. And I actually had the opportunity to tell him hmm. that, the, that the movie was. <laughs> um, and he was like, what does that even mean? You know, he didn't even know what I was talking about. But I think. Uh, when I think about like when I think about sexy movies, mm. that one that one always comes to mind. It's such a good movie, it's such a fantastic film. What about the subcategory um, troubling boners, worrying why dons? Film you found arousing, you weren't sure you should. <laughs> so this one is is I would say the Little Mermaid for a few oh, reasons. I care. <laughs> Ariel is so very sexy and she's also a child like not only is she a cartoon and a mermaid she's a teenager essentially okay so like like way too young yeah. for uh, not right for me in a million ways but like she's <laughs> so <laughs> she's so hot and then her eric guy is so sexy there's all these sexy mer people all over that movie and then i don't know if you remember this but the poster for the Little Mermaid, like the art, mm. and you can look at it now, and you can see, it's it's like a city uh, underwater, like yeah. an underwater city with, a, with you know mermaids like splashing out, and there's all these mm. other characters and stuff. But in the city, there are buildings mm. that are phallic, that are fully phallic. Agreed. And she's Penises. sort of coming. She's coming. Yes. There's cum everywhere now that I think about it. And there's spray. <laughs> yeah, there's like foamy. Homey spray everywhere. Yeah. And I, and I, there was, um, when I was in high school, you know, that movie came out probably when I was in like elementary school or middle school. But when I was in high school, I remember going to a girlfriend's house and, you know, looking at this. She had the VHS and we looked at it and she was like, look at all these penises. And she was like, do you want to watch this movie? And we will put this movie on and then like, and then, like, fooled around to that movie. Something like, it's like, this is not, this, we're not supposed to be having sex to this movie. This is so inappropriate. <laughs> but we got off on the, 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 the penis buildings. Poster, 
and then and then all these sexy little mer people. I get it. So I get it. Great uh, answer. Uh, objectively, though, objectively, what's the greatest film of all time? I think objectively, Jurassic Park is the greatest film of all time. I'd say you're correct. You can absolutely. Have it is. <laughs> really, I'm, I'd I say got it's, it right. It's an answer I wouldn't argue with. I've seen it many, many times. I saw it in the theater like nine times or something. I've seen it many times since then. Um, I've seen all of its sequels that 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 are that pale in comparison. But it, shot for shot, performance for performance, graphic for graphic, the music, mm-hmm. the the production, the story, it's flawless. It's just incredible. It is. And it's still scary. And the, the dinosaurs still look realer than in anything since. They look realer than in anything, in any Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. in any Game of Thrones, in any subsequent Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny and it's too. funny. He's got real good jokes in it. What's the film you could or have watched the most over and over again? It's Batman. Jack Nicholson. Michael uh, Keaton. Michael the best Keaton. Batman. Best Batman. You know, incredible Joker. It, it introduced me to Jack Nicholson, who's my favorite actor. Is he? Love that. Yeah. Love him. He's fucking oh, great. Oh, he's fucking amazing. Yeah. And I, it, I often, many times a year, will look back on his movies and am and, heartbroken that we haven't had a new one in like 20 years. Has it been 20 years? Well, I don't know. The Departed or there was, I think The Departed was maybe his last movie. It's been a long time. What about Something's Gotta Give? When was that? That, that, yeah, that was a while ago. That. that was a while ago. Shit. <laughs> At least 10. At least 10. What is... Uh, we don't like to be negative, so we'll do it quick. What's the worst film you've ever seen? Hocus Pocus. I, this is a movie. Go on, yeah. So go on. <laughs> At Midler and... Um, Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. And, it, and I, I didn't see it until a few years ago. Okay. And as a gay person, I, I can say that we're, we're all wrong. I gay people love this movie. We're wrong. It's fucking terrible. It's atrocious. It's trash. <laughs> Take it out of the gay canon. Take it. Uh, out. It should be out. It should go. It should come out, and and working girls should take its place. Uh, <laughs> what's the film? You're in comedy. You're very funny. What's the film that made you laugh the most? It's Arthur. Oh, really? Arthur makes me laugh. There's actually a line in Arthur where he laughs, and someone says, "What? What's so funny?" And he goes, "Sometimes I just think funny things." <laughs> And like, sometimes I think about Arthur and I just laugh. And I have a few friends that uh, will just quote Arthur all the time. Mm. I think Dudley Moore was a complete genius. And that's one of the sweetest, funniest movies. I watch it at least once a year, usually more. And it it makes me laugh every time. Mm. Every scene. So funny. Do you like Arthur 2 on the rocks? Not as much. Okay. And I didn't see the remake. I refused to see the remake. Michael Urey, you have been wonderful. As expected. However, when you went to see the Fablemans <laughs> and you were having a lovely time with your guy and you'd broken a rib, so you were trying to be quiet and you were eating your raisinettes and then you started choking on a raisinette and you thought, I can't, it's not, I don't mind making a scene. You were thinking, if anything, I love making a scene, but my rib hurts, so I mustn't make a noise. And stupidly, it meant no one noticed. You collapsed, you died on the floor. Ryan sat there looks down and he goes, oh, oh fuck, you know, he's dead, but I am enjoying this film. I, I won't say anything until the film's finished. He gets so caught up in the movie, he forgets that you're there. He leaves, thinks he saw it on his own. Oh. I'm wandering around with a coffin. I'm wandering. I'm going to go to the next screening of The Fablemans because I want to see it. 
And I, oh, I bump into something and I sit down. I'm like, oh, fucking hell. Is that Michael Urey? Oh, he's dead. Poor bastard. Anyway, you your throat has swelled up from, from the choking, your ribs sticking out. So I have to get a couple of ushers. I say, come over here. We better chop him up. We chop you up. We stuff you in a coffin. There's more of you than I was expecting for sure. It's absolutely rammed in there. There's only enough room in this coffin to slide one DVD into it for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show the movie people of movie heaven when it's your night, Michael Yuri, on the other side? We're watching the great Milos Forman film, Amadeus. Behold the masterpiece that is Amadeus. Perfect film. Congratulations. You've, you've passed. Now, before oh. we say goodbye... Is there anything people should look out for and watch other than shrinking on Apple TV I mean, Plus? Sh- which you really I mean, should watch. I have a fun voice with your pal Hannah Waddington in uh, Crapopolis. Hannah Waddington, yes. Crapopolis, oh, brilliant, great. Which is on Fox, coming to Fox. Fantastic. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I play the messenger god Hermes and a uh, very funny show. She's so good in it. Good and um, and then I'm also in the movie of Jersey Boys, the, f- oh, the musical yeah. of the four seats, filmed on stage starring Nick Jonas's Frankie Valley. I don't know when that's coming out. And then Shrinking. Michael Yuri, you're brilliant. We're lucky to have you. Oh. God bless you, sir. Good day to you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. So that was episode 234. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 30 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Michael. Don't miss the first four episodes of Shrinking, now available on Apple TV+. Plus. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, but instead of talking about the show, talk about the film that means the most to you and why. Some people have been writing some very beautiful things. My neighbour Maureen really appreciates it. Also, special mention to Stuart Goldsmith, who has been on Films to be Buried with in the early days. You can look back at that episode. He's also the host of one of my favourite podcasts, Comedian Comedian Podcast, or ComCom Pod. He's got his own special. It is called I Need You Alive. You can find details for it at stuartgoldsmith.com. It is going to premiere worldwide online the 23rd of February at 8pm with an online after party and a meet and greet with Stuart. Check it out. Thank you so much to Michael for giving me his time. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another smasher of a guest. Thank you all for listening. I do hope you're well. But that is it for now. So in the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Canva presentation looks brilliant. 
Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen.